0: Welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Huddle, our season premiere, and we are breaking down the big trade between the Toronto Raptors and the New Jersey Nets from December 17th, 2004. My name is Randy Zellia from the Hardwood Huddle, joined by Bill Ingram from BackSportsPage.com. Right now, we are going to go to the breakdown of the trade. With Doug, Stau- uh, Doug Smith from the Toronto Star, excuse me, and Al Iezonia, he used to cover the New Jersey Nets for the Bergen Record back in the day. So that we are all four of us are going to break down this trade, every aspect. All four of us were involved in some some part of Vince's career, covering Vince's career. I was a very integral part of the Nets back in that time. Al was covering the Nets, and Doug was c- uh, covering the Toronto Raptors, and we broke down every detail. Of this move, I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the season premiere of the Hardwood Huddle. All right, we're back here on the Hardwood Huddle. Two very special guests with us right now. The man who's been covering the Toronto Raptors, uh, I think, more years than he would like to remember. Uh, Doug Smith joins the show right now. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, from uh, the New York metropolitan area, used to cover the New Jersey Nets, now covers the New York Jets. Ally Azonia, gentlemen, thanks for giving us a few minutes today. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So so the, the, the topic today is uh, Vince Carter being traded from the Toronto Raptors to the New Jersey Nets both of you guys were were there recovering uh, your respective teams at that time just to give a little bit of a background Toronto traded for Vince Carter with uh, from Golden State back on draft night and sort of hit the ground running Doug can you talk about the beginning the first few years of Vince Carter what was like for him in Toronto always oh, great he,
1: he gave the he gave the franchise uh, legitimacy. In the NBA and in the basketball world, he was its best player. You know, Damon was pretty good, but he was not Vince Carter. Uh, the dunk contest in two thousand one, the, the Sydney Olympics were—they were coming out not just for Vince, but for the Toronto Raptors. He he, bega- he gave them a profile they never had before.
0: And going into the oh two oh, I'm sorry, the 0-1-0-2 season when the Nets finally started taking off a little bit when Jason Kidd came there, it was around that time, the season after the Raptors knocked out the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs, and things started going, um, I don't want to say bad, but things were starting to, the seams were starting to come off a little bit in Toronto. What was going on around that time, that that time period?
1: Well, there was, you know, there, obviously the year that they played Philly, 2001 in the Conference semifinals, beat the Knicks and went to seven games with the Sixers team that went to the NBA Finals. That was a high point. And then, you know, Vince got hurt a bunch. His, his knees started to bother him. The team, you know, they re-signed everybody the next year, uh, Alvin Williams, Jerome Williams, Antonio Davis. They brought in the Kim Olajuwon. It was, you know, they were they were going to make a move, and it just didn't work out. Vince got hurt, and I think he missed a bunch of games. Um, and it was, you know, by 03, 04, they were sort of transitioning to a different era, and it was going to be the Chris Bosh era.
2: I don't like to be reminded that Akeem played for Toronto because the player that wore number 34 in Toronto was not Akeem Olajuwon. They brought, they brought, they brought, they brought, they
1: brought Akeem Olajuwon in and forgot to ask him whether he liked his head coach and Lady Wilkins, and the answer was no. And it was a horrible, horrible mistake.
2: <laughs> I got to tell you, um, Carol Dawson, right before he retired, I sat down with him in his in, off, in his office and did a lengthy interview that spawned many articles for years to come, (laughs) and one of them was him, the extent to which he tried to talk Hakeem out of, he's like, please retire, you're back, you know you can't play, you're not gonna be able to play like you're used to playing, if we thought you could play, we'd keep you here. Just retire, let us send you out in style, lifetime Houston Rocket, Uh, and of course, he didn't do that. The, Ra- the
1: Raptors gave him a third year, which was a big deal at that time, the third oh. year in the contract, and I don't think he lasted a year and a half. But he was obviously no. –
0: you know, he
1: had 20 good games at the end of his last year in Houston, and mm-hmm. that's what the Raptors kind of signed him on. It was a terrible overpay and a, just a terrible mistake. But that was a that was the start of the Don of the Vince Carter era.
2: But you said something that was interesting, which is uh, Vince giving the Raptors legitimacy in the basketball world. Is that I don't I don't know the the political difference between Vancouver. I mean I know the I know the difference, but the political difference in terms of why is Vince maybe the reason that basketball made it in Toronto, where the Grizzlies did not have a transformative player, and the people of Vancouver just kind of went eh, let's watch hockey. <laughs>
1: that was it was a part of it. You know the Raptors obviously became glo- a global phenomenon with Vince. But I think the issue in Vancouver was ownership and they were never ever really settled. Even the first group, Arthur Griffiths and his group really didn't have the staying power you need to have to sustain the first four or five years of franchise when it's going to go So Things are going to get screwed up. You're going to lose a ton of money and they didn't have the stomach or the pockets
0: to withstand that, that, that anticipated lull. Hmm. And, and Al, from the Nets perspective... I know uh, Steve Adamick was with the team for a little bit and you came on. I believe during the 90 th- that was the 03 04 season. Right around that time with Kenyon's last year, the Nets were cooking so I, I, for, came I came on the 04,
3: next. I came on I was that was my first yeah. year. I was going back and forth with the Knicks and the Nets.
2: Hmm.
3: And around that time the Nets were still rolling
0: up until they they got eliminated from the, the against Detroit in that double right. and had the great double overtime classic. Went up three to two and then lost the next two games. to Detroit and boom, Kenyon Martin, you know, the Kenyon Martin goes sign with Denver and they do the sign and trade with Denver for three draft picks. Kerry Kittles gets shipped off to LA, plays two games and retire. And the Nets, The, the the I guess the core group of the Nets is gone. And what's remaining from the championship teams are. Some of the role players like Jason Collins and Aaron Williams, and left is an injured Jason, an injured Jason Kidd who missed the first month of the 04-05 season, and um, Richard Jefferson who was left sort of carrying the load. And towards the end of the 03-04 season, and me being around the team around that point, Jason and Kenyon missed a little bit during the season, and Richard sort of carried the team and still made a strong run in the playoffs. So Rod Thorne uh, rewarded Richard Jefferson with a contract extension. But meanwhile, Kenyon found himself, like, like we said, heading to Denver via trade. Um, Kerry's gone. Leaving a hole. Alonzo Mourning didn't want to be there. Was in and out of the lineup with his uh, his ailment. So mm-hmm. pick us up, Al, from when you started with the team
3: back in 0405. What was going on with the Nets? Yeah, I mean, what you just said, it was a fire sale. You know, they just take Bruce Ratner was taking over and he was getting rid of players when they didn't resign Kenyon, uh, who got 91 million. Then they let Kerry go. They gave Richard 78 million. Uh, Jason Kidd was not happy. He was not rushing back from this knee surgery because remember they had been to the finals two straight years. Then they lost in game seven to the Pistons in the conference semis. When Jason had no knee whatsoever, he needed knee surgery. Um, he had nothing in his knee. And, and I mean, we were all on Jason kid watch at that point. Like he had just come back. They were below 500. We knew how temperamental he was and he wasn't happy. So we're like, you know, December 15th comes. Are they going to trade Jason kid? He's we know he's miserable. He wants to be on a winner. Uh, and the Nets are going in a different direction. And then out of the blue, it really was out of the blue. I mean, I'm sure Doug will tell you. Everybody was saying Vince was going to Portland. You oh, yeah. know, it was out of the blue that that they got in and they made the trade for Vince. And that changed things for, for the Nets, for Jason Kidd. And, you know, they, they stuck together for a few more years.
1: Yeah, Portland was out there for sure. That would seem to be one of the favorite landing spots. And we thought if they were going to trade him, they would trade him west because they don't want him to beat them four times in a year, right. which makes entire sense. The, the funny thing is, the night the trade happened, we were in Indianapolis, and as soon as we heard it, we thought, okay, the Raptors are going to get Jason Kidd because <laughs> that's the kind of value Vince Carter should have brought.
2: Right.
1: And, and we knew Kidd, everybody in the league knew Kidd was unhappy, and like, like Al said, he was not coming. He was veteranly rehabbing that knee, and he could have taken until March if they hadn't made the trade. But when we heard that, first thing the first thing I thought of was, hmm, they got Jason Kidd, interesting. As it turns out, not quite true.
2: No. No, they got the great Alonzo Morning.
1: <laughs> they got Alonzo the Morning contract for sure. Now there was Alonzo Morning was never coming to Toronto. It was mainly cat ballast. The Toronto doctors were never going to clear a guy with his kidney ailment to play. The Toronto yeah. medical staff is uber careful. And as soon as we heard the name Alonzo Morning, it was okay, what's the buyout number? Because the the medical staff was never going to let him play in Toronto.
2: Right.
1: Aaron Williams, uh, Eric Graham, Williams, Eric Williams, the draft pick that became Joey Graham. That's like that's like eight cents on the dollar for Vince Carter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, well, Alonzo no, was going to Miami. Everybody knew he was going to Miami. Yeah, he was going but, back there, and, and he got his ring. Yeah.
0: and and the funny thing was Eric Williams was almost like fool's gold because Lawrence was such a stickler for that motion offense that Eddie and Michael Korn had put into place while they were still. Um, you know, a championship contender. Eric Williams thrived in Lawrence's system. He was averaging almost twenty points a game that year, and became almost like the centerpiece for the immediate trade at that point. And then, from obviously when he went back to Toronto, he was nowhere near that because he was a product of the system, not about his talent at that point. And the Raptor system was weird. It was that was a very odd
1: team. And Vince, you know, he, he probably didn't comport himself greatly in the first twenty games, but that team had Jalen Rose, Rafer Alston. And it was was knucklehead central for a lot of parts. (laughs) And it was a hard mix to come into. So, you know, there there were flaws in that roster that went far beyond whether Vince was going to be there at the end of the year or not. Because,
2: yeah, but Skip, heck of a dribble.
1: Skip Skip and Jalen. I I remember watching a basketball game in in, uh, Charlotte or Atlanta, one of the places where you sat front row. They spent an entire game not passing the ball to each other. Mm -hmm. I swear to goodness. They would Jalen if he had to pass the ball to Skip to run a play would run it through Morris Peterson, or if Skip had the ball and he had to get it to Jalen it would go through. They would not pass the ball to each other. Forty for, for forty minute <laughs> basketball game. It was the most fascinating Raptor game. One of the most fascinating Raptor games I ever saw.
2: We talk a lot about culture, and uh, one of my favorite general managers. He's an assistant general manager right now, but um, when David Morway was building the Raptors with around Paul George and Roy Hibbert, you know that group. And they were so they were so good. If the Spurs hadn't advanced to the finals that year when the when the uh, Pacers were playing Miami, I think the Pacers would have beaten Miami. But when uh, when Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich got into the finals, they knew they couldn't have another small market team with people that don't talk. So they had to make sure they got LeBron in. But that team, that culture, that aspect of um, I mean, David and I used to sit courtside in different places. <laughs> talking about how you build a winning basketball team. And I think the, the cultural aspect is the thing that we often see short-sighted or short-changed in the interest of chasing, you know, big names and whatnot instead of spending time. Even look at Utah. He's David's assistant general manager in Utah right now, and they are all about culture. And when you look at the success that they're having, very much like the Pacers did, um, I think people underestimate this in an era where we play 2K, which is great. I play 2K. I'm sure you play a lot, Doug. <laughs> and uh, it all works so easily, but, but when you're trying to do it in real life, those personality issues, like you're talking about, play a huge role in the success of teams.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the thing with Vince back then, I think he was playing for his fifth head co, fourth head coach, and third general manager in six years. That was mm-hmm. that's a lot of. And different kind of guys. And he spent a year – you know, he spent – he was with Butch Carter, was with Lenny Wilkins, he was Sam Mitchell, You, uh, Glenn Grunwald was the GM, and Brian Colangio was the GM, and finally was Rob, Rob Rob Babcock. I would want out of town too. Yeah. It was, it's, it was a constant – he probably played for – you know, I think he played over five and a half years. He probably played for – played with 120 teammates. It's crazy. It was so – there was no consistency here they had they had two very good years 2000 2001 when they had that run and then it was just it was just time to it was time for him to go for all concerned him
3: especially and Doug look look what he came to too because it wasn't his team it was nope. Jason's team you know every day and I say this all the time I did it with the Knicks too we always took Carmelo's temperature every single day <laughs> every single day we took Jason we never took Vince Carter's temperature and he would we Jason And he would have loved that. Vince would have loved that. But perfectly suited his personality. He was a great secondary star. 100%. Even though he was probably the most talented guy on the team. Just athletic. Jason Kidd was a tremendous player. But, Vince, we know what he could do. Yeah. The way he could take over game scoring. Jason took over game every way possible. So it was just the right situation for him. And he blossomed as the season went on. And, you know, Randy, you remember this, Richard Jefferson got hurt. Other guys got hurt. They ended the season with like Jabari Smith, Rodney Buford. Oh, God. Uh, Travis best <laughs> um, Brian Scalabrini starting at small God. forward because Richard was hurt yep. and they went 15 and four at the end of the season to make the playoffs. And Vince averaged like 32 over that time. And Jason almost averaged a triple double. It was incredible.
0: You, yeah, had Jacques, it, it,
1: you had Jacques it it was, just Vince, it was just what Vince needed to revitalize his career he was he stagnated here the last year and a half in Toronto partly because he was hurt partly because the franchise was messed up but it really reignited his passion for the game and put him as a in a perfect spot where Jason could take all the heat and make all the decisions that Vince, had, Vince just had to play and as a player he had
3: few parallels in the league back then now everybody loved playing with Jason everyone. Mm -hmm. I just love playing with Jason because all he cared about was winning and making sure his teammates were happy.
0: And Al, from a Nets perspective, again, the trade went down December 17th, 2005. Uh, The Nets were in Memphis, I think, when that went down. Um, It took a little while for Vince to get on the court, but he eventually made his debut against Detroit about a week later. Um, For Lawrence's perspective... And again, I know we're we're digging when we get this, but from Lawrence's perspective, he went from trying to keep the ship from totally breaking to now having to almost hit the reset button.
2: Yeah, it was uh, great for him.
0: Yeah, for for him, it was it was just a it was a very. Why didn't it? I guess why didn't it work in the long term for Lawrence? Because you had Jason and two unbelievable wing players and right. a star like Kristich, who eventually got hurt during the oh six oh seven season. That put a, a little hamper on that. But why wasn't it really working when you have two great wing players and a great point guard like that?
3: Well, I think eventually Jason just said, we're not going to win. You know, getting to the first round of the playoffs as he was getting older wasn't enough. You know, he's still stung from the San Antonio series that they thought they should have won. You know, we still look back. If you remember game six, why was Kerry Kittles on the bench in the fourth quarter most of the game? That could have gone to seventh game. And then, you know, anything can happen. <laughs> So obviously we know the situation there. He wasn't a fan of Byron Scott. Uh, let me go back. We were in Memphis and I remember this because I got the call at shoot around and Doug, you you guys can appreciate this. When we used to go to Memphis, you'd go down that long tunnel or whatever you call it to the garage to get in for shoot around. This yep. is my cell, This is 2004. Worst sure. cell service, right? My phone was ringing. I, hello, hello, hello. I had a guy who was telling me that this was happening. And I didn't I couldn't speak to him until I got back to the hotel. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'm not getting barbecued today. I'm going to have to sit here and write stories all day about the the biggest trades. And, And then you fast forward to his first game. And again, Doug can attest. Something happened. He was running and it looked like he got shot. Like, Vince was running down the court, and all of a sudden, it, I thought his hamstring blew, and he was out for the season. He fell on the floor, writhing in pain, reaching for his hamstring, and, and we're all like, this is it. This trade just blew up right now. He wound up playing 37 minutes that night, you know, and that was that was Vince. We always thought he got hurt really bad, but then he would just, at least with the Nets, play, play through, give you 30 points, and it was, it was phenomenal. It just Thank didn't you. work out in the end because – Jason had enough, you know. I, I I think he saw that he wasn't going to win anymore. They had gotten to, I think it was the conference semis the second year with Vince. First year they got swept by the by the by Heat.
0: Thinking, yeah,
3: by the Heat. I think the second year they got to the conference semis. They lost there, and and you know the wheel started falling off again in Jason's mind. He left, and then it became Vince's team because Richard got traded too. Then it was Vince's team with uh, Devin Harris. Oh, yeah, Devin. Yep. And, and, and Vince was, you know, he was still, he he had now embraced a different type of role. He was the veteran on this team. He loved Nanette Christich. He loved Brook R- Lopez as a rookie. He loved him. And he was just trying to be, you know, I say it all the time, Vince was one of the greatest guys I covered. And Doug will tell you that. He's just tremendous, just a no tremendous part. guy. Dallas, he was always fabulous. Yeah, he would talk to us
1: at the height of Vinsanity in, in like two thousand one. He would talk after every shoot around, before every game, and after every game, all year. Now, he might not say anything, right? But he would stay, but he would stand there and give the guys <laughs> their their sound bites, and they would he would give us a quote and he did it unfailingly all the time. And never had an I, I, have, I have never. no I never had a problem with Vince and I never will. And I'm very, very glad there was a, a, a the fans became to embrace him in Toronto again at the end of his career, and I'm really glad he left on good terms with them. And I'm glad that he, he, you know, he said it Twenty two years. No one in the no one's ever going to play twenty two seasons in the NBA again. Ever. There's too right. much money. There's too much wear and tear. They start too young. It's not going to happen. And he's Kawhi, a player as the longest serving NBA player ever.
2: I, I think Kawhi Leonard. He's very durable. I, I think he might. Look
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> if they load manage him for, for years from 12 <laughs> to 16 he'll be alright uh- I, I always tell this story about Vince because he lived about a mile from me where I live now oh. and uh, there was one day my wife and I were in a gas station and Vince was right in front of us on the, in the gas station and I go, I go to my wife that's Vince Carter she goes why don't you go out and say hi I said I'm not going to bother I'm not stalking him I'm not doing anything like that I'll see him tonight at the game he looked in his side view mirror. He saw that it was me. He got out of the car, walked over and said hello to me, introduced himself to my wife. I mean, he just was a great, great guy. Yeah, the, uh, the
1: 2000 Olympics in Sydney when he when he dunked over Frederick Weiss, was, you know, it was the height of insanity. It was craziness. And I covered those Olympics and covered the American team because Vince was on it. And after every game, he'd stand at the fence in the mix zone and he would walk by and he would look for me. And he would come over and he would stand right in front of me. And that's when the rest of the crowd would come come around and, and try to clamor him. But he looked and he recognized where the guy from Toronto was and he went to me. And I, I give him all the credit in the world for that. Beat guys love that. Beat guys yeah. love
3: that stuff. It that's what it's
1: important Plus, you get your stuff. Exactly. <laughs> he he the you know you' fight the crowd to get it.
0: I have to ask this question because both of you guys were there. Vince's return to Toronto after the trade. Um, on TV, it was, it was a spectacle. Just watching. I, I
1: I have never heard (laughs) anger from twenty thousand people like that. Since I never will hear it again, it was terribly unfair, and it was absolutely brutal. And it was brutal for eight years. But that first night was, oh my goodness, Al, you remember that 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 Um, night was was like nothing you will ever experience again.
3: Ever, ever. When LeBron went back, right? I wasn't there. I was watching on TV. And I know it doesn't really do it justice on TV, but I said, there's no way even LeBron's first game back at Cleveland, everything he did, there's no way it was what it was like in Toronto. No. I don't believe it was. I was there for Carmelo's return to Denver. And remember, he forced his way out. Yeah, yeah. Not even close. I was there for Jason Kidd's return to New Jersey after he forced his way out. It was a snowstorm that day, so it wasn't a full house, but you could also say the Meadowlands was never full. But yeah. it wasn't <laughs> even close. Vince was destroyed from the moment he stepped on the court. And you can remember the, the chant. when they Whenever they would do the defense chant or whatever, or let's go Raptors, V.C. sucks. Yeah. The whole building. And they kept it up for years. Years they kept it up. And I'll
1: tell you, that here's the, the Vince angle that, that a lot of people don't realize. All those years when he was getting murdered in Toronto, the playoff series for, for four games in Toronto, he got killed all the time, all the regular city games. He never once lashed out, never once said anything bad. He always said, oh, I love Toronto. I love the city. I have great memories, great people in the organization that I still stay in touch with. The city's great. I had a great time here. He never one, never one time lashed out at the fans or the Raptors publicly. And I give him, because he could have. He could have killed them for... So kingdom come, but he never, ever did.
0: One of the things, too, that I found very interesting, Al, and I was at the Meadowlands for a lot of the uh, – for Vince's run, was how easy – like after the trade, I think when he was – his last season with Toronto, before he got traded, he was averaging around 16 a game. That season, I remember when he first came to New Jersey, I was at the Boston – they were hosting Boston, and he lit them up for 42. And I just remember watching him and I'm saying to myself, how does Toronto let something like that happen? Like, that's my first thought at that point in time is how do you let that happen? And Doug, you're giving us some insight about what was going on inside of the organization at, at that point with all the turnover inside the front office. And Al, we've been through that a lot with the Nets with all the turnover in the front office as well. But it sounds like that happened because Vince sort of gave up on the franchise. In in its own way. He never said it publicly, but he sort of gave up
1: on it. Well, he he did say – he said it publicly that September before camp that he thought a trade would be best. I wrote the story. It was a huge deal. But he kind of went back on it once the season started. But they had decided they were going to move on. And the Raptors at that time had a – Rob Babcock is one of the nicest men you will ever – will have ever met in your life, and I will not speak ill of the dead. But he was overmatched as a general manager. Is overmatched by the personalities people working for him. He was over overmatched by the scope of Vince Carter and his value in the NBA, and he quit on Vince early, and he panicked and made a trade a month or two months before he had to. Now the, the trade deadline wasn't the next day. He traded the guy in December. He could have waited until February, but he mm-hmm. panicked and he made a trade because they wanted to move on. They wanted to go to a Chris Bosch centered team. Maybe Jalen had some stuff left in him, but you know. Vince wanted out in September. Once he got around the team, he figured, okay, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Um, he kind of walked back the trade demand, trade idea. But they had changed the way they played. He, uh, you know, he only averaged 16 in Toronto that first 20 games. But I think he took, like, maybe 40% of the shots he took the year before. He mm-hmm. didn't have the ball as much. Uh, he could have got them 25 a night. But they were playing a different way. They, they, were, moving, they were transitioning to Chris Posh's team. And he felt it. And he felt a little bit hurt by it. Plus, it was, it had been a long run at that time. it been six years, and time to go. Let's let's make our move. Let's let's get a fresh start for everybody.
3: And Randy, let's let's remember this. He was playing with Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd made, you know, when he came to the Knicks at the last end of his career, you know, towards the end of his career, I would say to him, You made Richard Jefferson 78 million dollars, you made Jason Collins, $24 million. Mm-hmm. He made Brian Scalabrini $15 million. Like He made everyone around him better. Vince was already great, but imagine playing with a point guard like that <laughs> who can get you open and get you the ball where you need to shoot it. To me, what was most impressive was when Richard wasn't on the floor, and like I said, at the end of the season when they were playing with those guys that you know, a lot of them were not in the NBA last year, the following year or, or they were barely playing. All the defense was focused on Vince, and he still averaged 32.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think, I I mean, think he's, that, he's such sorry. an amazing player. I, I, I yeah. covered him at the time in 2000, 2001. He was legitimately among the top 10 players on earth. I absolutely believe that, and I saw it up front, and I saw the, the comparables. There was a time in the early 2000s where no one knew who would be better, Vince or Kobe. And that was a legitimate discussion in the NBA. And as it turns out, the guy went on to win five championships because he played next to Shaquille O'Neal and for Phil. But that's the kind of talent Vince Carter was.
2: My favorite uh, Jason Kidd quote was actually from Dirk. I think it was, I'm sure it was during the finals. Uh, Dirk said, uh, you know, somebody asked him, you know, what it was like playing with Jason Kidd. And he said, well, you have to be very aware of where you are because if if I am about to be open and I don't know it, I'll get hit in the face with the ball because <laughs> Jake will know that he knows I'm about to be open and he throws the pass before I'm open. And the moment I'm open, I have to be ready. If I'm not aware that I'm about to be open, I'm getting hit in the face with the ball. And I thought that was the perfect, you know, I don't know why it hasn't translated you know. Being a great player doesn't make you a great coach necessarily. We've seen many great players not make it coaches, and maybe, maybe the kid will eventually do that. But as a player, I've never seen somebody who's, you hear players talk about the games slowing down. Yep. I mean, for a Kid, it was practically like incredible. Extreme. He knew everything that was going to happen, it was absolutely astounding.
3: He saw things, we, we would marvel over the things he did. You know, oh, god, yeah, just unbelievable <laughs> vision and knowing two or three steps in, like they always talked about. He did, you know, I think Nash was like that too, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, these guys, and that's why they love their teammates, love playing with them, yeah. And
1: Vince was playing with Ray for Alston,
3: right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god, that's um, a bad.
0: <laughs> to, to put the finishing topics on this. Com- the finishing touch on this conversation, um, d- guys. Do we put Vince Carter in one of the top, maybe the top ten great players? Who never win a championship.
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, as skill wise, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot
3: though. There's yeah, a lot of great, great players, players who didn't win. But he, yeah. he, he Vince,
1: never played on a really, really good team. That 2001 team with Dell Curry, uh, Kevin Willis. Charles Oakley was great at that time. Antonio Davis was a beast. That was a really good team. If they beat Philly in the conference semifinals, I'm convinced they beat that Milwaukee team that, that had Ray Allen and and Glenn Robinson and, and George Karl was a coach. I'm convinced. I'm convinced they beat that and Sam Cassell. I'm convinced they beat that team and they play an NBA, play for an NBA title against the Lakers. I don't know what happens, but that might have been the one of the pivot points of the Vince Carter career. Is that if they get to the finals? Now maybe everything unfolds differently in the next three years, but as a, you know, a top ten player to never win a title, like Al says, that's a huge list. But he'd certainly be in a conversation.
2: It's yeah. like who's MVP, you know, or who's who's the goat? Who's the greatest player of all time? I can name twenty different guys, and you can't yeah. argue against. You know, yeah. Will, Kareem, Michael, Kobe. You go down the list. I guess LeBron. You can say somebody else. But you can't argue against, you know, yeah. whichever player
3: you you pick. He's a he's a great player who really maximized his ability because look what ha- look what he became at the end of his career. I t- right? You
1: would have got you could have bet you would have got a billion to one odds that he doesn't play twenty years in the NBA You're and okay. play twenty two and be quite in and be just as effective in his twenty second year as he was in his thirteenth. Yes. You know, not certainly not the same high flyer dunking every game, but <laughs> he was a really good shooter, a really good player. And I'll tell you, talk to those kids who played Why for that Hawks team.
2: Still?
1: Those yeah. teams, the kids that played for that Hawks team that he was on, even in Phoenix, Dallas, they'll tell you, he was a wonderful teammate.
3: Yeah,
1: a wonderful guy to be around and yeah. a good teacher of the game and a good role model for kids. And I, I swear, I, I talked to him often. He did a, the foreword for the book that I wrote. And I, I speak to him every couple of months, three months. And Every time we speak, I go, man, I cannot believe he lasted 22 years. He goes, neither can I. But what the hell? They kept paying me, and I wanted to play.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, Kevin Willis was on with us, and we, we brought up Vince Carter. Kevin just had this infectious smile about oh. Vince Carter. And uh, he, he says, he goes, that's my little brother. And, uh, you know, look, guys, I, w- I will say this was – I know scheduling is a little – a little crazy. Doug, I want to, and now I want to thank you both. If you uh, start, with Doug, we finally let everybody know where they can find you and find your work online.
1: Uh, you can do the Toronto Star, the star.com. Uh, Smith Raps is the Twitter handle. And the book is We the North. It's uh,
3: Penguin uh, Random House Canada publishing. Yeah, I'm uh, Newsday.com. The Twitter is Al. What is that called? The long dash on the bottom. Underscore. Underscore. There you go. Al underscore Ianazone. Good luck spelling it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look at the screen. Just keep looking at the
2: screen.
0: <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for the, the time today. You were over overly generous with your time. I'm glad we were able to put this together. Yeah,
1: it was a good time. My pleasure. Yeah, great time. Thanks. Good, to see, you. good to see everybody. You too.
0: So that was Izzoni, Doug Smith joining us. Doug Smith sounds like just a basketball player name. You know what I mean? Like there was a Doug Smith that actually played the league in the early 90s. I remember having the um, basketball card. name on it.
2: I love the perspective that he gave. Um, I got to know Vince here in Dallas, obviously, I would say at the end of his career, but he did play a long time after that. <laughs> but he was still an impact player in Dallas. But I got to know him here. And but to hear that the way that he um, made sure that the local guy, you know, when they're when they're in a situation in another country and, he, you know, the class, the respect. Um, I love the players as someone who spent many, many years and hey, worked with Doug in many situations, uh, all-star games and and summer league stuff and all that stuff where everybody's together. I got to know Doug and, and really respect him, but um, the players who, who understand that you have a job to do. That's one thing about Greg Popovich, you know. <laughs> we need to get a from you about it. It's our job. Uh, and he made it, often made it very difficult, but um, the players who understood, it's a beat writer. The beat writer needs you to talk about this narrow window of things for their story and run quickly and finish the story. I love the guys who got that, who accepted it, who showed that deference to the, the guys who were working for a living. You know, the guys who were busting their butts to, to just cover the team night after night. Um, I loved that story about how uh, how Ben was with him. It was fabulous. Well, I think the whole conversation was
0: was good. We got to, got some insight from Doug and from Al. And, uh, of course, you and I were able, you were able to bring the Dallas perspective. I was able to bring the perspective of what happened before Al was around with the Nets. Um, so, Bill, let's real quickly preview what we have coming up on the Hardwood Huddle. We have some great episodes. Uh, we have Larry Brown who's going to join us to talk about the 2004 Detroit Pistons.
2: Mm-hmm. We have John, John. Great team. I mean, top to bottom, one of the best teams ever. Uh, right up there with the Lakers and the Celtics. It wasn't just one or two stars. It was just a group of incredible that- incredible.
0: And the next, the next season. Correct me if I'm wrong. All but Tyshawn Prince ended up making the All
2: Star team. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. That's where I thought. I like, wait, the Utah Jazz are hands down the best team. Don't we need some Jazz players on the All Star team like we had? When, uh, you know, of course, we need to see. Uh, nah, nah, nah. we don't need that. Jazz have to prove it in the postseason, as Detroit did that year. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great team to talk about. Lots of great stories.
0: We also have Shaq versus Kobe. Uh, we also we all sort of be t- we have John Michael who's going to be working who's coming on with us again. We had him on last summer, and John Michael's going to come on and we're going to break down the 2016 NBA Finals: the Golden State Warriors versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, we're going to talk about the awful 2000 draft, uh, which Sports, Illust- Sports Illustrated and uh, people inside the NBA say might be one of the worst draft classes of all time. Worst
2: of any sport ever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was it was bad. Um, we're planning on doing a profile piece on Anthony Hardaway, mm-hmm. uh, Penny Hardaway, which is uh, very, very good. And, uh, you know, obviously we having a, we're, we're going to be back doing this uh, a little bit more. We'll have some more topics. We're going to have a good season of the Hardwood Huddle, taking you back in the annals of
2: NBA time. I've always wanted to say it like that um, in annals of NBA time. <laughs> Bill, let everybody know that we can find you. Well, I'm on uh, on Twitter at the Rocket Guy. Uh, if I write about basketball, it's backsportspage.com, and my personal blog, I never write about basketball, is ishmael'slegacy.com.
0: And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at randybsp. Also, you can uh, find BackSportsPage.com on all your social platforms and find this show, uh, of course, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, and everywhere you, you listen to your podcast podcasting networks. Bill, till next week, let's, uh, let's do it again in uh, seven days, and we'll rock it out.
2: Always a pleasure, my friend.
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon.